Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 178. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's show is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th and 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. We've recently opened registration as well as speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Charlie Moore. He is the CEO and president of Global Debt Registry. Now, GDR have been around for a while, particularly in the the marketplace lending space, but their goals are much bigger than just this space. They really are looking to transform the structured credit markets and bringing more efficiency and transparency to these markets. So we go into that in some depth. We talk about what their technology is, how it is actually going to change the securitization markets. You know, we talk about what they were doing before they started, they incorporated blockchain and what was the aha moment for Charlie in really shifting the direction of his company. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, so I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Maybe you can just tell us what, what you've done in your career you know, before you, you got to Global Debt Registry. Sure. So I've been involved in emerging technology and financial services uh, for the last 20, 25 years, running innovation and new ventures type groups at Thomson Reuters uh, here in New York and previously Barclays and, and Lloyds in the UK. Really been involved in this space ever since the first dot-com boom in the mid-late 90s, uh, where I got caught up in the sort of the potential opportunities and did, did, did my own startup and have been doing sort of new ventures, be it uh, startup standalone or within uh, large corporations, financial institutions ever since. Mm-hmm. So your accent then, you're, you're from London originally, are you? Or where, where are you from? Originally from from London, yeah, I've been here uh, twelve or so years. Uh, came over with with Reuters, but also married to an American. Right, right. As as am I. Yes, I understand. Okay, so then you know you you joined Global Debt Registry a few years ago, and actually maybe we get started. Why don't you tell us? You know, because Global Debt Registry has been around you know quite some time. I actually I wasn't aware of it myself till I started doing some research prior to this interview. How long? It had been around. So maybe you can tell us a, a little bit about the history and, and how you got involved. Sure. So Global Data Registry or, or GDR has been around eight, eight or nine years. And it started life in the non-performing accounts world. So the, the charged off receivables and really focused on help helping prove chain of title and, and asset integrity uh, in that market, which if, if you're familiar with uh, the charged off world, it is it's very very messy in terms of keeping track of, of these charged off off accounts and uh, um, the record keeping isn't uh, isn't as robust as it, as it probably uh, um, needs to be. So I got involved about three or four years ago, uh, coming out of a large company at, at the time, really because I was seeing a lot more innovation in terms of financial technologies occurring in the small startup world uh, as opposed to the, the the large corporate world, and you know that that generally continues to be the case. 
Okay, so then you got involved. You started off as like the chief commercial officer. It's, it seems right. like so I, I went back and looked at. I actually watched your your Finovate demo from 2014. So you know, you've obviously you've you've been there a while. But so what what did you see specifically about the opportunity at GDR? So a very large, inefficient market. Uh, which uh, with lacking any infrastructure or, or standards or, or, or ways of actually uh, um, keeping track of, of transactions, which having come from uh, capital markets world, focused a lot on the sort of uh, the real, real-time trading activity and sort of research uh, distribution and so on, where everything is extremely well tracked and uh, a lot of a lot of regulatory uh, controls uh, as well. Yeah, I, I was surprised that there was this very large charged-off world lacking infrastructure. But over time, it sort of uh, was was clear to us that really to to address the the, the asset integrity issues of performing accounts or non-performing accounts, really, you need to start with performing accounts and, right. and, and start further up further up the chain, mm-hmm. and that a lot of the underlying issues and challenges and inefficiencies they weren't unique to sort of the the, the debt sales market it, it really was throughout the sort of uh, the account life cycle so we started uh, working with looking at the performing accounts world and, and, and working with uh, the investors and the, the senior lenders uh, supporting uh, particularly di- digital lending uh, and uh, we, we can talk about uh, that asset class in a bit more detail but uh, you know we started working with with the uh, participants in that ecosystem system to, to generally improve the efficiency and, and the integrity of the under, underlying assets uh, a few years back. Okay. Okay. So then, yeah, it strikes me as you're talking then that you know, this is really the financial crisis was uh, was caused, you know, by by part of what you were talking about there, sort of the lack of integrity in the underlying loans. I mean, there are people that we know today, the thousands, that might be tens of thousands of people who whose loan documents just didn't seem to exist anymore, and and so certainly there was a problem with integrity of data back then. Is that you know, is this the problem that kind of is that sort of the idea that kind of germinated this whole problem? I mean, it's, it's clearly uh, something in the back of, of everybody's mind. I think uh, any technology is only as good as how it's implemented by people, um, right. and so you know whilst. You know, we can talk about the sort of the, the power and value that uh, that blockchain generally brings to this this party. It's only as good as how an industry organises itself and people choose to adopt and apply that technology. So, so could the could blockchain technology improve the sort of immutability of, of record keeping and ensure that loan information wasn't misrepresented or or lost? Um, and that the underlying loan documents and records of, of ownership and economic interests and, and, and so on are, are much more uh, um, robust. A- absolutely, but only if applied appropriately. Only if the right parties sort of uh, agree as to, to how how it should be done. So, you know, clearly there have been some improvements post 2008 in terms of uh, improved investor transparency with with Reg AB, but we're still lacking a lot of uh, sort of the infrastructure. Really required to, uh, to to move the industry uh, on which you know blockchain we believe provides uh, you know a lot of that potential right so you know that you, you you already mentioned blockchain a lot and I'll get into that in a bit but I, I I'm curious because when when I watched your Finovate demo obviously you didn't mention the word blockchain was not mentioned back then so when was it that you sort of changed your premise or how you were going to kind of sure. solve solve the problem sure so 
you know, the, the business as a whole has been focused on what I would broadly call asset integrity, and there's a number of there's a number of elements to that in terms of different different loan characteristics. I think my aha moment, and everybody has an aha moment. I was I was exposed to cryptocurrencies fairly early on, and I I didn't really get it, and I was somewhat cynical sort of back in 2012-13. It wasn't until probably 2015, maybe early 2016, when I was actually watching um, a presentation from uh, Leanne Kemp at Everledger, who founded the, the Diamond Registry on, on the blockchain. It was talking about the provenance of, of stones, of diamonds, and talking about uh, keeping better quality records of the, the, the quality of the stones, you know, the cut and the, and the color, et cetera, et cetera, as well as the ownership and chain of ownership and ensuring that, that, that they weren't flood diamonds and so on, and reducing some of the repetitive costs around verifying those, those diamonds multiple times. And I'm sitting there listening to Leanne, and I think, hang on a minute, this is... These are all the same underlying challenges that we have in the credit ecosystem in terms of uh, keeping track of uh, track of loans. So that I think was around 2015 or 16, which also coincided at the end of 2016. The SFIG Trade Association put out a uh, a, a white paper with with Deloitte that aligned very much to our business plan and and, and the business case that, that that we had put forward. So that was that was good good validation. And I think over the over the last couple of years, the sort of the the evolution in terms of understanding of the opportunity and and the application of, of that is of blockchain technology has has evolved from beyond just the sort of immutable, better quality record keeping through the shared system of record and a vehicle to ensure that everybody across the credit ecosystem is looking at the same loan data simultaneously and that, that the the current email Excel type model hasn't got out of sync across services, backup services, loan data agents, trading agencies, investors or senior lenders, etc. And then most recently obviously the the, the power and the, the opportunity of having everything on the blockchain is that the actual asset it becomes a digital asset, a truly digital loan where it is native to the blockchain and only represented on the blockchain and can be very easily transacted with uh, minimal additional friction and uh, cost and, 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 and time delays. So that's, that's been a journey. I think we're all on something of a journey here and we're still all at relatively early stages of it. But uh, you know our understanding in terms of uh, what's required for that and what we need to be building to support the industry on that on that journey has sort of has has evolved you know quite rapidly over 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 the last couple of years along those lines so then so your solution today is is a blockchain based solution is is that is that the only right. is, that, is that is that is that the why don't you tell us a little bit about the solution itself and whether it's it's 100% blockchain based or or what sure so what we've been building is what we would describe as as decentralized market infrastructure, really the, the the protocols for how lane characteristics should be recorded on on the blockchain. So we it is a complex market, and there are multiple characteristics that really make up a, a loan. The asset isn't just the the original authoritative loan documents. That's obviously critical in in, in terms of ownership, but there's there's a whole host of other data sets, loan characteristics that, that really should be recorded on, on that asset. So in, including stuff like the verification activities, there's some payment activity and, and, and so on. So 
we are what we've been building is is the protocols for how that loan information should be recorded in such a way that the the industry can realize the maximum value around there but recognizing that it is a multi-phase approach this is going to take a number of years to, to get there and i think we'll go through a hybrid period of what might be called asset-backed tokens or loan-backed tokens where the where the loan remains off-chain and there is a token created associated with that with with with, with that loan but that's that's down the road. There's, that, there's a number of steps before uh, before before we we get there. So the first step, our phase one product, has been around the collateral pledge activity and uh, recording a mutable record, ensuring that there is solely one record of a loan being pledged to a a, a credit facility. And why we started there um, was very much around establishing a minimum viable ecosystem. As you're probably familiar, the the ABS world is, is pretty concentrated. There's 10 or 11 banks that are underwriting and providing the, the warehouse facilities for three quarters of, of, of the market. So establishing that minimum viable ecosystem is, is relatively uh, um, straightforward. So uh, you know we've been working with those guys and uh, partnered with IBM from a technology point of view in building the platform for recording all of these loan characteristics culminating with the, uh, the, the the full asset being on the blockchain, but starting with this uh, relatively straightforward data set around the, the loans that have been pledged as collateral to the, uh, the the investment banks as senior lenders. Right, right. Okay. So I want to talk about securitization, but before, I don't remember exactly when we met, but it's been several years ago now. You've been around the, the marketplace lending space f- for a while. What was it about this market that was, because obviously a loan product, what you're selling could apply to any, you know, any loan, uh, right. loan. What, what, what was it about marketplace lending that attracted you to, you know, to really focus there? Sure. So, you know, we we started there and uh, have in recent months sort of extended into other asset classes like student auto cards, et cetera. But we started there and we continue to sort of put a lot of our, our resource there for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, there's a lot of innovators in that world. There's, there's some pioneers who are pushing the boundaries. So, you know, we fully expect the innovation around blockchain to come out of that, that world. Um, they're more open to new ideas and, and easier to work with. And you know, guys like Ron Suber and, and Mike Cagney are, you know, push, pushing the envelope in terms of how, how things should be done. Secondly, in terms of creating that minimum viable ecosystem, it is a, a nicely concentrated, relatively small asset class relative to credit cards and uh, autos, etc. So really there are half a dozen marketplace lenders driving most of the volume and and supported by half a dozen investment banks providing a lot of the initial capital and and, and underwriting activity. So it's it's a pretty well-contained, tight ecosystem that that works together pretty nicely. Right, right. Okay. And so then you've got, you said you've expanded beyond that now and you, you started talking with some of the some of the banks. Now I imagine you've got. I mean, it's a challenging thing to do to talk to these banks because you're you're asking them to really you know, change the way they're doing things. Obviously, they, they they can recognize the benefit, but there's also the pain involved of, of changing the way they they do it. So, you know, I, I imagine it's a it's going to be a very long lead time. But just tell us a little bit about how those conversations are going so far. 
Sure. So we've been working with the majority of those those big banks for, for some time now. So off the back of the uh, the earlier sort of research and planning I was talking about, 2017, we ran multiple working groups with with the big banks in terms of helping to understand those those pain points and and efficiency opportunities and really prioritize the roadmap and starting to introduce them to some of the, the concepts associated with with the blockchain as to how they might be able to uh, to help i think you know, over the over the last 18 months they've come a long way in terms of you know what abs hasn't to date embraced blockchain but the, in in recent months i think you know we've, we've seen the needle move quite considerably so in the autumn most of the big banks brought along their blockchain strategy people to ABS East, which was you know very very encouraging. So you know whilst it wasn't their first use cases, sort of POCs with it with it within the banks, the majority of them now are are actively engaged in terms of how how can we take advantage of this technology to improve some of the inefficiencies of of, of the ABS and MBS markets. Right, right. So then, when you when you look at securitization, and you know, I, I mean, I was at ABS East as well, and like I, I was struck by how little has changed in securitization, given the disruption that's happened in all other, you know, so many other areas of the of sort of the the broader financial ecosystem. ABS seems to the ABS markets still seem to be doing things pretty much the same way they were doing them a decade ago or even two decades ago with you know, slightly better technology. So, you know, do you think you, – you said that they're getting proof of concepts going and they're, they're doing – you know, some of the banks are embracing this. But I just wonder if, you know, like securitization is – you know, it's a massive industry, multi-trillion dollars industry as far as total volume goes. Is this problem – I mean, is the problem big enough for them to really completely transform the way they do things, say, over the next five years? Tell us, maybe you could basically say what's fundamentally wrong with securitization today and how big is the pain point and and then what you see as sort of the, you know, where this is going to go in five years' time. A lot of questions there, I know, so take take your time. No, 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 no. All all, all good, and I'm I'm glad you sort of... uh, Framed it in the sort of five-year window because of this. This is a multi-year journey. But winding back to you know what what are the the, the challenges? You're right that the the industry structure and the, the underlying process and how how transactions occur hasn't changed for for, for decades. It's slow. Transactions are, are measured in in weeks, sometimes months. It's expensive. You know, there's there's multiple. Service providers generally doing a lot of the activities pretty manually, very siloed. Uh, so there's no shared infrastructure, no shared system of record. Which in virtually every other asset class, there is a some some system of of, of record, shared infrastructure, uh, keeping keeping track of uh, of things, and paper documents representing the underlying asset in still the majority of of use cases. Uh, so that that model and all of those inefficiencies which you know culminate in significant fees which uh, everybody uh, you know ha- has has to bear some of those 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 fees um you know that represents the opportunity uh, why the banks didn't choose that as its first use case i think but you know they obviously started with a lot of trading and settlement uh, use cases where there was 
low-hanging fruit or certainly appeared to be low-hanging fruit in terms of uh, trapped liquidity uh, of improving uh, improvements there uh, from the blockchain, but also because I think there were existing intermediaries that could help facilitate that. So in a lot of those instances, you know, there was a TTCC or a stock exchange or there was a, a party that could, that could help facilitate that. You know, I actually think that many of those early POCs struggled because of the some of the performance and scalability issues of the blockchain, uh, whereas ABS, uh, despite you know, the, the sort of data challenges that we have, is actually relatively low volume in terms of the volume of data and in terms of the volume of, of, of transactions. So in that regard, the technology is, is fairly well suited to, to the ABS and MBS market, where, where there lies a challenge is, is more the social constructs and, and more how we as an industry organize ourselves in terms of the the adoption of that technology. So, uh, you know, that's a lot of what we're doing is, is around getting the right incentive structure and network effects and getting the right standards in place for the industry to be able to uh, embrace this technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So then can you can you give us some sense of of the traction that you're that you're getting today? Like, I don't know if you can share names or uh, of lending platforms or banks you're working with, or just you give us some sense of of how you're going. Sure. So, in the context of uh, immutably recording the collateral positions, we've got close to a million accounts. Uh, largely collateral associated uh, with the digital lending uh, market so across the main seven or eight uh, digital lenders, uh, all of the guys that you, you would expect. And to my earlier point, we've sort of ex- in the autumn, we extended coverage of collateral that, uh, that we can record beyond the digital lending space into auto, cards, equipment, small business, um, student, really to support the, the entire ABS desk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, so what's it going to take? I mean, I, look, I think it's, so, like, this is this is not going to be a, a quick process, but I also could see a time, like maybe it's five years, maybe it's ten years, that we'll look back and think, how the heck did we ever do it the old way? Why? Like, I, I mean, the thing that struck, that struck me, we are here in almost 2019, and we're talking about hundreds of millions, billions and billions of dollars in transactions where documents are based on paper. And that, yep. that to me, I mean, and you're not talking about something that like, you're talking about words. This is not like some create some really complex, um, you know, structural architectural type stuff that really is hard to put into paper. You just, you create a PDF, you know, for a lot of this stuff. It's not rocket right. science. So it's staggering to me that, that, you know, and I, and I, you know, I went through the mortgage process uh, two or three years ago with uh, a financial institution that, uh, you know, totally paper-based, like 100%. They wanted me to fax right. things in, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't have a fax machine, and I'm not going to get one. I ended up, you know, it's just, anyway, that's a whole other story. But my point is, it's it's amazing how broken it is, or how backward, not broken, how backward it is. So maybe you could take us through, give us a picture of where you think it's going to be, whether it's five years' time or 10 years' time, and maybe you could sort of just, what what efficiencies are we going to gain? Sure. So I think the the end state is all of these loans being representative 
represented natively on on the on the blockchain such that that is the the sole representation of of the, of the lane there is no paper copy there is no pdf it is solely on chain with all of the other lane characteristics the, the verification or the servicing payment data and and various other uh, um, characteristics that gives that asset the sort of the, the certainty and the party in possession of, of that loan has the effectively has the ownership and it's as easy to transact as a as a cryptocurrency as, as, a, as a bitcoin and there are digital asset groups at banks and other places talking about credit as a digital asset class that can be traded electronically in similar fashions to equity and and, and fx you know i think that the challenge there is less of a technical one and, and more of a regulatory one in terms of communities that then because the loan then become a security and require all of the the, the cost and reporting of uh, associated with with being a security which at the individual loan level you know obviously would be would be challenging to to, to bear that cost but i would anticipate that uh, when a loan is on the chain like that, that it would be the, the ability to actually dice and slice and fractionalize and uh, come up with new financial products in the, the structured credit space accordingly and, and leveraging smart contracts in terms of managing the, the payments associated with those. You know, I think the way that uh, that loans are pooled will has the potential to change dramatically. But most importantly, it's, it's the cost of actually funding and, and, and pulling together these transactions will will should lower dramatically and, and the actual uh, um, time involved in doing so should be much, much, much faster. I expect they still will generally be pulled up and uh, those additional layers of trust provided through the rating agencies and, and uh, other parties to, to the larger institutional investors. But uh, yeah, I think that the, the way in which those transactions uh, occur becomes vastly more efficient and there's significant savings, uh, you know, across that whole value chain. Right, right. So then you're also looking, I mean, we all saw the big short or read the book or both, but, you know, where you've got Michael Burry there sitting at his computer looking at what's actually inside some of these pools of loans and seeing that they're, they're, they're going to be in trouble. You know, it seems like to me when you, you know, obviously you got the cost benefit, you got the cost benefit, you got the transparency benefit as well, where, you know, you look at the, the financial crisis, which, you know, had a lot to do with these, you know, these mortgage backed securities that were, you know, way too, I mean, there's many, many reasons which I'm not going to get into here, but my the point is the securitization pools, these pools of loans, when you've got them on chain, I presume, and this is going to be completely transparent to anybody, right? You don't, there's not going to be this kind of hidden layer that was prevalent, uh, has been prevalent really till now. So blockchain clearly has, has the potential to improve transparency, but I, I would prefix that with, uh, that with the appropriate access controls. I think what it applied appropriately would have helped considerably in, in the context of the, uh, the, the financial uh, um, crisis. As a as a underpinning technology and sort of infrastructure, it would have enabled much easier reporting and, and transparency if the parties involved wanted to provide that that, that right. transparency okay. down, downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know would could could help ensure that certain information you know wasn't misrepresented or if it was changed that there was the you know immutable audit trail of of any of any 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 changes and uh, um, you know the, the challenges around borrower verification, income verification, misrepresenting of, of income, uh, you know, that none of those would have been uh, um, feasible. So it, it definitely would have has the potential as a technology to have removed a, a lot of the, the, the risk in terms of sort of transparency. You're still dependent on sort of 
the relevant parties giving access to the other parties of that data, but it would certainly have become a lot easier for them to do so. I think a lot of the 2008 issues weren't necessarily that people didn't want to give access to that data. It was just very hard to actually get all of the relevant loan data in front of the relevant in, in, in investors. So uh, I think as an underlying technology, it should help to do that uh, quite dramatically. Right, right. Okay. Okay, we're running out of time, but a couple of things I want to get to. You know, I, I, I published a piece recently on on what Mike Cagney's doing with, you know, with figure and provenance. How are what you're doing at GDR? How is it different, and how is it similar to what sort of the provenance blockchain is is trying to do? Sure. So Mike and the, the team are doing some some great work over there, and I think they share a lot of the same vision for provenance uh, longer term and they see some similar inefficiencies in terms of uh, how credit is is financed and we both chose to to work with 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 ibm hyperledger using some similar underlying technology i think how we're tackling the, the opportunity is somewhat different how they're tackling the the, the opportunity so we're focused on working with a group of banks as our minimum viable ecosystem and going deep on a specific use case as part of that asset character characterization, i.e. the collateral pledge activity as our as our phase one, whereas provenance is is going end to end in terms of the, the digital asset creation, partnering up with their colleagues at, at Figure in terms of demonstrating that that minimum viable ecosystem. So they're they're sort of tackling uh, the the opportunity in a in a somewhat different sort of go to go to market uh, way mm-hmm. you know we think we see this as, as a very much a, a phased approach multi-year to getting to that sort of end state of the truly digital loans and a lot of that around creating standards and common ways to 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 be recording uh, loan information uh, on on chain getting the the incentives model right and the sort of social constructs are, are absolutely uh, critical and you know, I think we're we're taking a position that there still will be a requirement for many of those third-party services that you see exhibiting around uh, ABS East and uh, elsewhere in terms of custody and trust services and legal and verification, etc. But they, they they will evolve dramatically and can and will be a lot more efficient in this this end state. But I think in general, the the parties that we're working with. They still want an independent third party to stand behind all of those activities, but right. do them in a much more auto- automated, efficient way. You know, they don't want to hold keys to a set of digital uh, loans and custody themselves, and nor do they particularly want a, a startup doing that. They want a, a, a trusted custody uh, provider, but it's probably more like a fidelity cryptocurrency uh, custody service than it is your traditional warehouse of uh, paper loan, loan documents. So you know, we're, we're working with incumbents to bring them on, on that, that journey, some of whom I'm sure will, will embrace the technology and the journey, uh, others not not necessarily because it's hard because it's for the for the incumbents it's not just a new technology it's a new business model and in many instances it's it's, a, it's probably a lower price point uh, um, automated service but should be a more profitable uh, um, service for them. Right, right, okay, okay. Then so so last question then. So what, when you look at you know we're recording this in uh, at the very last day of November as you look to. 2019, what are some of the goals that you want to achieve in 2019? So my principal goal is demonstrating this minimum viable ecosystem working. So we've already shown the technology works. We've already got a number of banks uh, using it up and running uh, in production with, with, with IBM. You know, we want to 
demonstrate real value across a significant group of banks, which, uh, you know, as I say, the, the ABS market is principally 10, 11 banks. So we want to get a, a significant proportion of those, uh, you know, actively using it across multiple uh, asset classes at scale. And for us, that is the sort of the minimum of our ecosystem for phase one that then gives us the, 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 the platform to do other interesting stuff, uh, phase two, three, four in the coming years. Okay, well, well, best of luck with that, Charlie. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. As always, thanks, Peter. Okay, see ya. Bye. You and I look at the securitization market and I look at and see processes that have unchanged for decades and, and extra costs and time in the system. It's just inevitable that this is going to change. Market forces are going to catch up and demand a cheaper and quicker way of doing things. So I think, you know, whether it's global debt registry or provenance or another system, I feel like it's inevitable that we are going to have a blockchain-based securitization market. It may take five years, it may take 10 years, but eventually securitization will be unrecognizable from the way it is done today. And, you know, I certainly think it, that that will be a good thing for, for most of the players involved. It certainly is going to be a, a more efficient system. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's show was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th through 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. Registration is now open and we're also taking speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA.